Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is October the 26th, and our chapter for today is Ephesians chapter 6. Actually, we started yesterday with chapter 5 and 6, and today we're going to finish. I wish that I had a week just to spend time teaching on these two chapters. The reason we're looking at 5 and 6 together is because they were originally written as one unit. As you recall, the New Testament and the entire Bible was only divided in chapter and verse divisions within the last few hundred years. And so as the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, 5 and 6 were just part of a letter, and it all kind of hangs together. It really starts in chapter 5 with Paul's admonition in verse 15 to see that the people of God, those who are followers of Jesus, walk carefully. Because the days, the kairos, the time in which we're living, the season in which we're living, the occasion in which we're living is evil. And so we must redeem the time, redeem the occasion, redeem the opportunities that God gives us. That's verse 15. So he says, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Walk in wisdom. Wisdom is looking at life from God's perspective. Wisdom is looking at an event through the eyes and the perspective and the point of view of God. God has to give us divine wisdom because otherwise we get so caught up in what's happening that we cannot see the forest for the trees. So we have to be lifted above and ask God to give us his wisdom, his point of view, his perspective. Then we see the big picture because if we're just caught up looking down always at our feet and where we're walking, we can go astray. So God says, rise up above, get wisdom where you can see where you're going where you can lift your head upward, not just looking down all the time, but lift your head up, lift your head up, because this is where God is. Set your affections on things above, not on things of this earth. Set your affections above where Christ sits, Messiah sits at the right hand of God. And remember, he rules there. That is the hand of power. And so we have to walk in wisdom. And so he begins to give an analogy, a comparison. And the reason he does this is so he can illustrate what it means to be controlled by God. Do not be drunk with wine where is dissipation or excess or indulgence, but be filled with the Spirit. And so he says, don't be filled up with wine, because if you are filled up with alcohol, you're going to be controlled by alcohol. So he says, that is excess. That is when you drink too much. That is when you begin to get buzzed. You begin to come under the control of another. And so he says, don't do that, but rather be controlled, be filled with the Spirit of God, because if he's filling you, he's going to be controlling you. 
And then he goes on to talk about how that affects us. It affects us personally, inwardly. It affects our worship. You see, God never commands us to do anything that he does not give us the power, the divine enablement, the empowerment to do it. God will never ask you to do anything that he will not give you the grace and the empowerment and the ability to do it. He's not going to ask you to do something that he knows you cannot do without him. And so he has to enable us. And so this is why he says, be controlled by the Spirit. And if you are controlled, filled with the Spirit, he says it's going to affect your worship. It affects how you live personally. So he says, you will be, and he uses three participles. He said, you'll be speaking to one another. You'll be giving thanks. You will be submitting to one another. And so this is what he does. He says, if you are filled with the Spirit, when you're filled with the Spirit, as you're filled with the Spirit, speak to one another in psalms, psalmoi. That's the transliteration, letter for letter, right out of the Greek text. Hymnos, it's translated. We just knock off the O-S or O-I, which is hymnoi, plural, and it just gives us the word hymn. And then you have the word spiritual songs. That translates the Greek word ode, O-D-E, a story song, a ballad sometimes, as we will call it. And so there are psalms, hymns. Psalms are praise phrases and choruses and songs. Hymnos, it's hymnoi would be uh, what we would call a hymn that has a message, a theological message about who God is or what he's done, about his character, or what he has chosen to act out and allow us to know. All of that is hymnoi. And then spiritual songs, these are ballads. And so he says, we speak and then we sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. And I'd like to translate that with, now, the preposition in, it's en in Greek, can mean in, by, or with, depending upon the context. If we say in your heart, in our language, and the way we speak, if you're doing something in your heart, that means it's silent. It's just between you and God. Well, that may be the case here, but I believe that it would be better or could be just as well translated with. And the two give different connotations. If you're singing in your heart, that's inside of you. But what happens when you are filled with a song? You start singing. Why? Because the Gospel of Matthew says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you've got it in your heart, it's going to come out. A merry heart does good like a medicine. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. In other words, it's going to come out on your face. The reason you look grumpy is because you are grumpy. The reason that you look happy and smiling is because you are happy and smiling. If you look bitter, you probably are bitter, or you need to change your conduct outwardly. In other words, what is in us eventually and will come out of us. So when you are singing in your heart, then it's just at least connotes that it is just between you and the Lord. But if you're singing with your heart, what does that mean? You're singing with everything that's within you. You are really getting with it, as we would say. This is the spirit-filled life. It affects our worship. 
It affects our attitude, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when you're controlled by God's Spirit, you develop an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of gratitude. You know what attitude promotes? Conduct, behavior. Because all of us, we have to have, in order to do actions, we have to have a thought. If you think a thought long enough, it becomes an attitude. If you develop an attitude, it will affect your actions. Your actions will turn into habits. Ultimately, that will affect your character. And so God wants us to be filled with His Spirit, to be controlled with His Spirit, and that produces praise and worship, gratitude, and Then, starting at verse 21 of chapter 5, he goes into what he will talk about in illustrative form and application form throughout the rest of chapter 5 and chapter 6. He says, submitting to one another. What is a spirit-filled life? Is it all about singing? No. Is it all about worship? No. Is it all just about gratitude? No. Those are attitudes that develop within us. But then he says, you'll be submitting, and it's another participle. That is, it's ongoing. It's active. You have speaking, singing, giving thanks, and submitting. And now the word submit is a compound word in the Greek text, and I think it's one of the most misunderstood of all because in our culture, if you submit to someone, that means you're inferior and they are superior. Now, that's not always the case, but that's the way many times it works out in our minds. And uh, that's not what it is at all. The word submitting is the Greek word hupotasso. Hupotasso, H-U-P-O, is the first part. That's a uh, preposition, hupo, which means under, basically. That's the base meaning of it. Hupo, H-U-P-O, which is usually translated or transliterated, hypo with a Y instead of U. Hupo, tasso, T-A-S-S-O, long O at the end. Tasso, T-A-S-S-O. Now that comes from even more of a base word, tithemi, which means to stand. You put the two together, hupotasso, it doesn't mean understand, it means stand under. It's a military word, comes right out of the military and has to do with rank. Doesn't have to do with inferiority and superiority, doesn't have to do with character, it doesn't have to do with anything but rank or position or assignment. Someone who's a private may have a better character, demeanor, personality, integrity than the general that he serves under. But that general has the final say. Why? Because he's the general. He is assigned a different rank. Now, there may be a lot of reasons why that he's done it. Maybe his seasoning, maybe his faithfulness in battle, maybe whatever, but he's a general. And it doesn't matter what that general character is like because it has nothing to do with inferiority or superiority. It has to do with position. It has to do with rank. It has to do with order. It has to do with assignment. Submission is getting in your proper order. That's what hupotasso means. And so what Paul is saying is when you're filled with the Spirit, you need to show that by getting in your proper rank, getting in your proper order, fulfill your proper assignment. And then he starts talking about wives and husbands. Why? Because other than our relationship with God, where he is Lord, we are his servants. He is master. We are his slave. He is God and creator. We are man and we are the created thing. 
And so all to say, God ranks above us. And uh, let me just say to you, if you're wrestling with the idea of assignment and rank and superiority and inferiority in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Bible says that man is head of the woman and Christ, that is Messiah, is head of the man and that the Father, God Almighty, is head of the Messiah. Now, if that is delineating substance, if that's delineating and detailing inferiority and superiority, that means that Jesus is inferior to the Father. And if you believe that, you have more than just a submission problem. You have a theological problem because that would mean that Jesus is not God and of the same substance as God the Father. Well, the Bible teaches he is does have the same substance as the Father. He and the Father are one. Either that's true or Jesus made a very bad mistake in the Gospels. And so it has nothing to do with inferiority or superiority. It has to do with rank. This is what men and women need to understand. Everybody has an assignment. And Paul is going to talk about parents and children. He's going to talk about slaves and masters. He's going to be talking about the believer and the enemies of the believer, the spiritual enemies. And all of that has to do with rank. If you just see what it says, it says that men are to lead women. That is, the husband in this particular case, not generically so, but husbands, you are to lead your wives, and wives, you are to follow your husbands. You are to get in your proper order. You say, well, I don't like my order. Well, you can not like it if you want to, and you can uh, not obey it if you want to, but you're going to suffer the consequences. Because if we don't follow order, cosmos, then we're going to have disorder, chaos. And uh, it's in our society today. How's that working out for us today in Western culture? How's that working out for us, us getting out of all of our proper order? You see, The husband is the role and the assignment and has the role and assignment of leadership. He is to do that, according to this text that is before us in chapter 5. He is to do that in an atmosphere of unconditional, unending, unflinching love. Agape, agapao, I love, I love unconditionally. That is, what is agapao? It is a love that is based in the character and in the choice of the one doing the loving rather than in the attitudes or the actions of the one being loved. That means, men, we are in the role of Jesus. We are to love as he's loved us unconditionally. We are to love as he's loved us continuously. We are to treat our wives not on the basis of who they are and what they might say or how they're acting, but on the basis of our assignment before God, we are to treat them with love and admiration and respect and with tenderness and kindness and all the things that exhibit agape love. You say, well, how is that? We'll turn to First uh, Corinthians 13, and that is the epitome, the epitome of what love is. That's the final word, and that exhibits Jesus. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners in rebellion, Jesus Christ died for us. Now, this is very important because, women, you are to be followers. 
of your husband. You are to submit to his leadership. How are you to do that? Were your teeth gritted? No. Stomping and spitting? No. Uh, I know that sounds awful, but it happens. You are to do that if you read the text in the closing verses of chapter 5. You'll see you are to follow and submit to your husband, even as the church does to Jesus, and you're to do that in an attitude of reverence and respect. I'm telling you, both the leadership in a loving, unconditional love and following with reverence and respect takes divine assistance. It takes divine enablement. You have to be filled with the Spirit of God or you won't do it, husbands. You won't do it, wives. Oh, you might treat them well, but there's no attitude to go with it, and they know it. Wives, if you think, well, I'll do this and I'll stomp and I'll uh, be passive aggressive, I'll show him, well, you're going to get shown because, you see, you don't have the final say. God does. And you need to respect your husband. I know he makes all kinds of crazy mistakes. All men do. I know that you're probably smarter than him, or at least you think you are. That doesn't matter either. You have a position. You have an assignment and authority. And as far as I know, more than likely, nobody put a gun to your head to marry him. And one time you thought he was worthy. So I don't know. Maybe you married him because you thought you were smarter and you could uh, rule him. I don't know. But I do know this. You're responsible to God to do the right thing, and that is submit to your husband. Now, the same thing is true with children. You see, children are to be under the leadership of their parents. The parents are head of the children. That doesn't mean that the children are not as valuable as the parents. It means there are role assignments. has nothing to do with essence. has nothing to do with essence of one's being. It has to do with role assignment. Role assignment. Rank. Order. There has to be someone with whom the buck stops. And if there's not, there's going to be chaos because there will be great division. Same thing's true with employers, employees. Same thing's true with slaves and masters. Same thing is true in uh, the spiritual realm. Satan does not have authority over us. The demons do not have authority over us. It's vice versa. And that has nothing to do with power, our innate power. Satan is a far more powerful being. Angels are far more powerful beings in many ways than man. However, in Jesus Christ, we have the divine enablement to overcome even a powerful enemy like the devil. And only God can enable us to do that. And principalities and powers and dominions, all of those various ranks of demonic activity. We are more than conquerors who him who loved us when we are filled and controlled by God's spirit. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.